for worshiping with us. You can have a seat. Hey, good morning. My name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. What's your name? Are you one of the pastors here? Um, we're so glad that you're here. This is just sort of a relaxed service today. As I, actually, all our services are relaxed. Um, we're so, just trying to feel this out, just getting started. Like uh, Rachel said, for, uh, well, probably the next, like, six months. <laughs> we'll, we'll still be working on things very much a construction zone. There's uh, parts of the building that aren't completed and things we're still working on in here. So, uh, But we're glad that you are here just to be part of the process. One of the, uh, our Stonebrookers, uh, her name's Patricia. I don't know. Are you here, Patricia? It's not you. You're a Patricia, but we welcome all Patricias equally. We're glad any Patricia is here. Very glad you're here. Um, she posted on Facebook, she was, she was inviting some of her friends to come check out Stonebrook, and she said, it's not perfect, and it's not finished yet, but neither are we. So I thought it was just sort of the way, oh, there you are. She's right there. Um, how many, are you guys in the front row cold, by the way? See, from time to time during the service, we're just going to check things out. I was really hot during the last service. Now, there are two air conditioners. There's actually six air conditioners for this space right here. Two of them are for the stage. Let me, let me say that a little better. Two of them are for the pastor. <laughs> and we didn't have them on last week, last uh, service, and so I was really hot, so I turned them on. We probably should turn them off. Like the ones back there on the bottom, the bottom two on the right, turn those up to like 73 or something so they'll turn off and we won't freeze out the front row. So, I'll try not to jump around as much, maybe. I don't know. I usually don't jump around. So, it's, going to, it's just going to be a fun time for the next few months. And here's the thing. From time to time, I'm just going to talk to the booth. I don't have any time as how long I have to speak, which is fine with me. I'm okay with that. These people, maybe not so much. So, just, I mean, when you get a chance that I can do the math, I know what time it is, but um, there's... See, we have this system where, you know, it tells me how much time I have left. It starts flashing angrily. There's curse words. I don't know. When, a, when I'm five minutes over, then there is an electric shock that comes to me if I go too long. So don't be too concerned. But what we're going to do, um, since, and, and next week is sort of like really the big kickoff. We're starting a brand new series. You just saw. We're starting this new series called The End of Religion. Do you guys have invites, like close to your seat? Throw me like five of those. We all, we, we, uh, the first service took a whole lot of them. Uh, take these invites with you this week and your friends and coworkers, family, just anybody, maybe if you're um, checking out at Walmart or paying at the, at the gas station. Is it, is it on my end? See, it's my fault. It usually is. That's usually the problem with everything. It's my fault. 
But um, wherever you go this week, you don't have to be weird about it. You don't have to preach a sermon. But we put these in your hands, just use it as a tool. In fact, that's sort of, that's sort of how we, we view Stonebrook in general, that our service on Sunday morning, it's a service from us, not for us. And we, we do this service as a sort of to put a tool in your hand to invite people that you think uh, might benefit from hanging out with us. And um, just, you don't have to preach him a sermon. Just put one of these in their hands, say, hey, Bob, if his name's Bob, that would be best to call him Bob. If it's not, you can still call him Bob. But hey, Bob, uh, I work with you every week, and I, I think you'd enjoy our church. And here's, we're starting a new series, and just put this in their hand, tells them a little bit about it. And you can do that this week. I will, here, EJ. You're supposed to be, <laughs> pay attention to the pastor as he's speaking there. I throw stuff at you. So do that this week. And uh, we'll be very happy. So what I'm going to do today, this morning, is light, lights are flashing. This is such a cool thing that we have absolutely no control over this stuff yet. No, we really do. The guys in the booth, the guys that have put this together, when we, when we get, understand everything and we get everything in place, it's just going to be an amazing uh, facility. But it's really not about having an amazing facility. It's not about us saying, wow, we finally have a church and haven't we arrived? And isn't this great for us? Um, the reason we have a building is buildings, buildings are tools. This place is simply a tool. This is not an arrival. This is a launching. This is a starting point to where we can um, impact this community and then other communities all over the state of Missouri. We want to be a, a church that plants other churches. We have lots of ideas, lots of plans, but it all starts from here. This isn't where we go, oh, we finally got our building. Isn't this great? It is great, but it's just something that God has put in our hands so we can reach out to those who, tens of thousands of people, who are not convinced. There are plenty of churches for the already convinced. We wanted to create a place for the rest of us. And so what I want to talk about this morning, this will be like the last time for a long time that I have an opportunity to talk about it um, on Sunday morning when everybody's gathered, that uh, I want to talk about sort of why we do things like we do, what we're after, and I want to show you some scriptures of how the early church approached sharing the message of who Jesus is. And um, a lot of times people are a little bit confused about who we are at Stonebrook and what we do because we say that we are a church, we're a church for people who don't like church. Well, then that gets sort of confusing because, you know, there's some, some people say, well, you know, I, I kind of I like church. So will I like your church? If it's a church of people that don't like church, I probably won't like it because I like church. So if I come to yours and there's people that don't like it and they like it, how will I like it too if they like it? And it's like, calm down, take your medication. <laughs> but how do you have a place that is accessible and a fun, relaxing, welcoming place for outsiders? But then after they come here for three or four weeks, now they're insiders. So is this church for outsiders or is it for insiders? Yes. It's for everyone. But there is simply a way that we think that Jesus went about delivering his message and fulfilling his mission, but they had a little bit of different method. I sound like a Southern Baptist preacher there. I have three M's. Our mission never changes. Our message never, ever changes. But we have to consider our method based on the culture we live in. And we live in a culture right now that uh, 
frankly, and I'm not lamenting this, I'm not trying to change culture, I'm not, we need to get back to where we used to be. No, not at all. But we don't live in a culture anymore that is a Christian culture. We live in, frankly, a post-Christian culture. Uh, I've been in other countries, and those other countries were a non-Christian culture. And it's actually a little bit of a different story. And I, I believe that when Jesus came to this earth, and then his earliest disciples, they, um, they tailored their message. They directed what they were trying to say, depending on who their audience was. They didn't just go out and say, you know, this is how we do it. We do it like we've always done it our entire lives. If you don't like it, too bad. And that's sort of how we church people and guys that stand on a stage like this and try to talk and share this message of trying, trying to say this is what God is like. We have a certain way that we have done things for years and years and years. And we never stop to think, you know, is this working? Is anybody listening? And we try to, people like me that stand on a stage like to blame the people, like to blame the culture because they're not hearing what we're saying. But perhaps... We're not speaking the language that we should. And I just want to show you some things scripturally that maybe will explain to you, especially those of you that are Christians, because I get this a lot when someone says, you know, I've accepted Jesus now and I'm following Jesus. So if I come to, if I'm at Stonebrook, how do I grow as a believer? Well, first of all, we believe that as you serve and as you minister to other people and get your focus off of you and onto them, that that actually opens up an avenue for God to pour back into you. It's Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. I think one of the best ways to become a more, more like Jesus, to become more of a disciple, is that you give and you think of others before yourself. But I want to show you the way that the earliest disciples would speak to their various audiences and some adjustments they made, and this will maybe help you explain, because we are going to be able to teach things there's going to be time after time after time where I'm talking to Christians. For example, let me just sort of give you this. This is practice service. Um, sort, of, sort of give you this example. How many of you grew up in church? First of all, let me see that. You grew up, you've been in church when you were young. Okay. And that's, see, that's the way our culture is. We don't necessarily have, we, we have a lot of people that have never been, but we have this huge section of people who are currently not going to church anywhere, but they used to. Maybe they grew up in church or they went to church as a child, and then they went to college, and then they sort of lost faith, and they become, became disillusioned. So it's, it's more than just non-Christians. It's post-Christian. They're not coming in. We have a lot of people that come in with a complete blank slate, and that's blank, blank slate, and that's great. But then the rest of us come in, and our slate is full of screwed up stuff. You know what I mean? We have our slate, and we're just all confused with what's on our slate, and our slate is bent, and we're trying to fix our slate. We don't, we're just... We're just confused, and we've been disillusioned with church. We've been hurt at church, and um, so how do we, let's say I'm going to speak to you that have been in church, and think back to when you were in church before. Have you ever heard a sermon, for example, like on, uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, very famous, very famous chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, today we're going to talk about love. You've ever, ever heard a message from 1 Corinthians 13 on love? Okay, how would the pastor traditionally start, if he was going to speak from 1 Corinthians 13, how would he start that? What would he say? What? Somebody in the back said something. What? He would say, love is kind, sure, but how, how would he start his message? 
he would say, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, all of us that are Christians, and I, I just want to show you how we think. This is just a little thing, because people wonder, so you're a church for non-Christians? Oh, no, we got lots of Christians. But I thought you were trying to reach outsiders. Oh, we are. We got lots of outsiders. Well, how does that work? It works like this. If I want to preach a message on love, I'm first of all, I'm going to say, today I'm going to mainly speak to those of you that consider yourselves Jesus followers. There may be some of you here today, and you don't even believe in Jesus, and that's great. You're just here to sort of check it out. Or maybe you have questions about who God is, but you're just not really sure. You don't consider yourself a Christian. We are so glad you're here, and we want you just to listen in, and so you can see all the hypocritical. We're going to talk about what, how God told us to love. We're going to point out all our hypocrisy and the things that we do wrong. So you just check, you just check us out today. But instead of saying, now turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13, because those of us that are Christians go, oh yeah, I know where that is, 1 Corinthians 13. Or we get out our phone, 1 Corinthians 13. Nobody actually knows how to find it anymore. Let's do, does anybody here like have an actual Bible? Ooh, this is amazing. We've had services in the past where I wanted to do an illustration with an actual Bible and nobody had one. <laughs> but we just all have it on our phone. Just a minute, I actually have a message from someone. Well, that's a good idea. Okay, sorry. So, if I, you know, we say, I know we're 1 Corinthians 13, but if you aren't a Christian, or you're not a Jesus follower, or you're not well-versed in the Bible, and you may not even believe the Bible, and see, that's the thing. We as pastors, we as church people, when someone has a question about God, we say, well, the Bible says... But we're talking to a culture nowadays that does not view the Bible as an authoritative book. It doesn't do any good to say, well, the Bible says, well, I don't believe the Bible's true. Well, I don't know what to tell you then. And that's where so many of us as Christians are sort of stumped. But what I would do if I was going to talk on um, 1 Corinthians 13, I would say there was this man that lived about 2,000 years ago. His name was Saul. Now, Saul hated people who followed Jesus. And he went around and he killed as many of them as he could. He thought that this, these new people that were following Jesus, that they were anti-God. That they were, he, he was in a certain religion and he thought it was God's purpose for his life to go around and sort of squash this new rebellious uprising called Jesus followers. But a funny thing happened to Paul. He actually had an encounter with Jesus himself where Jesus said, hey, buddy, I'm real. Could you stop killing my followers? And so Saul said, okay, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? And so uh, he, he eventually his name was changed. His ex name wasn't actually changed. Saul was his Hebrew name. He was also a Roman citizen, so his name was actually Paul. And he went around then. He became a Jesus follower, and he started these little churches all around the Mediterranean rim. And he came to this town called Corinth. And this town called Corinth, he, he started preaching. He was there about six months. And a group gathered, just sort of like a group is gathered here this morning. And they, they had this little church. And as time went on, Paul left. Well, this church, it was a wild church. They, just like so many of us Christians today, they, they had fights with each, with each other and they weren't loving each other. So they wrote Paul a letter and said, we have some questions about how do we, how do we follow Jesus more correctly because we're having all these fights in our church. So Paul wrote them back a letter. And we call that 1 Corinthians. If he'd started a church in Waynesville, we would have called it First Waynesvillians. Okay? Now, see, I haven't changed my message. I haven't changed my mission. 
but I took 34 seconds to change my method to where I can talk to Christians, but if you bring a friend that doesn't know anything about it, all of a sudden they can go. And in fact, some of you Christians, some of you sitting right here went, oh, it's, it was a letter. Because we think sometimes that the Bible was something that God dropped out of heaven. Look out below. Oh, sorry, buddy. You should have moved. No. It was a letter that Paul wrote to this church that was having trouble. Okay? Now, let me show you. I know my introduction has probably been too long. Um, we're going to start with, I'm going to move your head in your slides. Give me like the third slide. What does it say? Okay, that's what we're doing. Stonebrook 2.0, which is basically, let's just start over and rethink this whole thing. So, here is our mission in Stonebrook 2.0. This is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 28. This is right after he rose from the dead. Oh, I have some more invitations right there. Here. Invite five people. Invite five people and scroll, don't scroll on, like me on Facebook, and God will bless you immensely. That's a joke. Come on. <laughs> Keep scrolling if you love the devil. Those are my favorites. Yes, I love the devil. Stop posting that. You know, I hate stuff like that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Okay. Whew. Stop and type amen, and you'll be blessed with money. Come on. Anyway, here's Jesus, and he, um, he's just risen from the dead. He's about to ascend back into heaven. This is the very last thing on his mind. He's gathered a group of his closest followers. Actually, there's more people there than are right here. But he has this very last thing to say to them. He gives them a mission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and change the slide. Joe is distracting the slide person. Next slide. Jesus had the same problem with Peter. I know it's a little known thing. It's like, like when Jesus, the Bible talks about that they fell asleep in the garden. Peter was actually running the computer while Jesus was preaching. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Jesus, you preached so long. I couldn't take it. Okay. Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, the word disciple is sort of this sort of Christian-y word that we use that simply means a follower or a learner, somebody that's just learning. So Jesus said, I want you to go and invite people in to just follow me and just sort of learn together with me. Of all the nations, that's, this is the part that was revolutionary. We look at it from a Western point of view, and it says all the nations. He means go to Africa, go to South America. But what you don't understand is what the Jewish people that he's been hanging out with for three and a half years were convinced that God was just for them. That Yahweh, Jehovah, the father that Jesus introduced them to, that he was just for Jewish people. He's for insiders. He's for church people. God is for church people. And Jesus came along and said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I want you to go and tell everyone. You are just like a prototype. You're just a sample I want to use you as a light to the entire world, and I want you to invite them into this thing that you've experienced and help them along the process of learning how to be more like me. And then he says in the next, teach these new disciples. 
<laughs> Here, see, this is what happens between me and the booth. I just want to let you in. So my recorder batteries might die at some point before you're finished. If you could just hurry this up. <laughs> or if I wave my arms frantically, break for two minutes. I'll let you know. And what smooches? Is this from you, Joe? I don't want smooches from you, Joe. <laughs> These are people I have to work with all the time. So what was I talking about? So make disciples of all nations. Everybody. This is not just for you. It's for everybody. So how do we go about that? Now, on purpose? Is it, is, are my batteries going bad? Oh. <laughs> what, what happened? <laughs> the very, like, uh, it was about 50 days after, at this point, it was like the opening day of the church, the opening day of Jesus' disciples taking his message. Now, they were, they were in Jerusalem, surrounded by people who believed the Jewish scriptures. And this amazing thing happened. In Acts chapter 2, um, this Holy Spirit came on them. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise because the Holy Spirit came, and it was basically sort of scared everybody because they were used to church being a very calm, normal thing. And suddenly, uh, these guys were having a party. What's going on? It was very loud. Everyone came running, and they were bewildered because these guys were speaking in all these different languages, being spoken by the believers. And they thought that they were drunk. Then Peter stepped forward with the uh, 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews, fellow Jews. He's talking to Jewish people, people that are familiar with God and believe the Jewish scriptures. Make no mistake about this. This is one of my favorite things about the book of Acts. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming, it's much too early for that. It's just 9 in the morning. If you come back at 6, you should see James and, and, James, uh, and John. They're going to be hammered. But it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Too, much, too many wine cooters. Uh, he says, no. Now, this is what he says. In order to explain what is happening, he references the Jewish scriptures. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Then he reads a passage of scripture or quotes it. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. And then he goes forward and he reads a very long passage of Old Testament scripture in order to explain to these people who are familiar with the Jewish scripture what this new thing is that's happening. These people respect and view the scripture as authoritative. Therefore, he uses the scripture. The next slide, it says, but God knew what would happen. His prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. And here's his message. This is the message of the earliest disciples. They constantly come back to this very one thing. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. In its grip. The message of the, that Jesus wants us to take to all the nations, to all different kinds of people, whether they believe the Bible or not, is that Jesus came to this earth, he revealed who God was, and he was raised from the dead. Now, here's a big thing, and, I've, and this is part of this, what I'm talking this morning is just me being able to say some things out loud to get my thinking straight. We have a, an entire 
generation of young people who I dearly, dearly love. Um, the millennial generation, about 17 or 18 to about age 32. And they are a big part of who we're after because if we don't continually try to share this message with the next generation, eventually this message dies. It's one of the focal points of us as a church. But one thing that happens is um, kids are raised in church and they believe what the Bible says because mama said so or my children's pastor said so. Anybody raised like that? I mean, you believe the Bible. Why do you believe the Bible? Mom said. Mom said it was true. But the trouble is, then you go to college, and professor so-and-so in English comp or in freshman history or in freshman biology, you see all these scientific facts, and they say, you know, the Bible has this story of this huge boat that was built, and all the animals came into the boat, and there was a worldwide flood. But actually, that's one of many ancient myths that were told, and some of these ancient myths predate the story of Noah and the ark, and they're very sim similar. The uh, Epic of Gilgamesh, for example, is, predates the story of Noah and the ark, and it's eerily similar to the same story. And so, if, you're, if the foundation for your faith is based on a book, and traditionally the foundation of our faith, of our faith has been based on a book, and we use to try to explain to people, we say, well, the Bible says. But the trouble is, when you begin to question things, and if you don't believe just everything, it becomes a house of cards. If you were taught that, well, Adam and Eve were actually historical people, who I actually believe this. I believe there was a big boat with all the animals and there was a worldwide flood. I believe that a guy rode around in the belly of a fish for three days. We all live in a yellow submarine. He was in, down there, and I... But scientifically... That's a little far-fetched. Well, it was a miracle. Got it. I believe that. I believe there was an Adam and Eve, and they were created in the garden. But if you believe, or if you think that, well, that's just sort of a myth or an allegory that explains in general how God, through time, used evolution to bring forth the world, great. I can see valid points of that. But my faith isn't based on that. My faith isn't based on the fact that if I can... Be, if it can be proven to me that it's impossible for every species of animal to fit into a boat that's a certain size and live for a certain amount of years, it'd be impossible to get that size for all, enough for them to eat for this amount of time. My, the faith for so many has become a house of cards that if I can pull out this piece and suddenly you're doubting this part about something in the Bible, the whole thing crumbles and you're like, well, none of it must be real. But that was never the message of Jesus' followers. Their message constantly, and this is what I say, put up that next slide, our faith or Christianity is based on a historical event. It's not based on the fact with whether or not there could possibly be a guy that could kill a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. When I was in church, we used the King James Bible. It was one of my favorite things because I got to say the jawbone of an ass. Now, normally, I would get in a lot of trouble for cussing. But, Mom, I'm reading the Bible. What's wrong with you? A jawbone of an ass. So it was very exciting for me to be able to talk about that. But if it can be proven to me, see, I have issues too. If it can be proven that, you know, that's just impossible, and question all these various stories, then my faith becomes shaken 
because my faith is based on a book when it was never intended for my faith to be based on a book. My faith is based on actual historical events that happened that I have logical, historical reasons to believe are true. I have reasons to believe that there was a man who represented God, in fact, who was God, who showed me God's love, who saved me from my sin, who demonstrated the, the uh, amazing relationship that we can have with God and that they killed him. But he actually rose from the dead. And I simply believe that the guy who predicts his death and resurrection and pulls it off, I'm going to listen to him. Now, he says certain things about the Old Testament that make me believe that the Old Testament is true. But my faith is not based on that. My faith is based on this historical event. But here Peter is talking to these Jewish people, and he, for example, the next slide, he says, King David said this about him. He quotes the book of Psalms in talking to these Jewish believers about Jesus, and he uses the Old Testament as his basis of reasoning to convince them that Jesus is who he says he is. I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Now, outsiders of that day, and some of you right now are going, huh? What's that have to do with Jesus? Exactly. So here, Peter, he's talking about the resurrection. He talks, 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 talks. But then we're going to go ahead to Acts chapter 10. This is 10 years later after the resurrection of Christ, where Peter has another chance to speak to a group of people about who Jesus is. But these people are Gentiles, the Goyim. These are people that are not Jewish believers. They do not accept the authority of Scripture, but they have gathered together for the express purpose because they're seeking God. There are people all over Pulaski County right now that inside of them, they know there's something more, but they've been to churches and they don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to them, but they know there's something that they are trying to find out and they've heard about Jesus and they really like him, but they're just not convinced that Everything that they've heard about the Bible is true. And so they, they're faced with this, oh, if I don't believe the entire Bible, can I still be a Jesus follower? Well, here is Peter talking to people who do not understand anything about the Bible. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He is not a believer. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. He goes to speak to him. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Peter told them, now he's going to speak to them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. Jewish people weren't even supposed to touch people that were non-Jewish. They, they thought they were unclean. They thought their, their sin cooties would get on them if they, got it, even if they ate with them. But God had shown me now, here's a big, I wanted to read the scripture because this is a big part of the shift we have to make as believers, as Christians, when we're dealing with a culture that is non-Christian and post-Christian. God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone. Say anyone. Say it again. Look at the person next to you and say, you're an anyone. <laughs> anyone. Anyone that you meet, the guy that you work for, the people that you work with, those crazy, messed up people that you know what they did last night and you know what they're planning on doing next weekend. 
all these people that you as a Christian look at sometimes and we look down our noses and there's lots of groups of us Christians and churches that'll stand on the, the side of the road and tell them to repent where they're all going to die and go to hell, things like that. Peter said, God showed me I shouldn't think of anyone as impure or unclean. Everybody should be able to come. Everybody should be welcomed. I should see everyone as an image bearer of God. Somebody that has been made in his image. Somebody that Jesus has died for. I should see nobody as impure or unclean. And he, said, he goes on and says, You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. He tells the history of what happened with Jesus. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses. He's telling him things that they have seen, not something they read in a book. We are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. And here's, they constantly come back to this one message. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. His message is the same. His mission is the same. I'm supposed to go make disciples of all the nations. The message is, we believe in Jesus as a person who represents God. He was killed because of that, but he rose again from the dead. That's his message. But here he's using a different method. He does not quote any scriptures because this group of people that he's talking to do not see them as authoritative. It would be very similar. We, we are in an area where we do not have a huge Muslim population. But it would be the same as if you had a friend that was Muslim and you had a question about something and he said to you, in order for him to explain to you, he, said, he would say, well, the Koran says. Well, it wouldn't really mean much to most of us, especially those of us that would consider ourselves Christian, because we would say, well, I don't view the Koran as an authoritative book. Well, it's the same thing with so many people that are seeking to know God, if all we say is, well, the Bible says, well, they don't view the Bible as an authoritative book. They're just trying to figure out, is there something more to life than this? So Peter's talking to these people, and his message is the same, but his method is different. He doesn't use the Bible at all. So then he goes on, and he says, he throws this in right at the end. He says, he is the one that all the prophets testified about. Now, there's a bunch of Jewish people with him. This is probably meant for the Jewish people with him because of what happens right after he says this. He's the one that all the prophets testified, testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven. Now, notice this. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Peter's in the middle of his message. And while he's talking, and by the way, this is just a quick thing to the booth. When I sit here, I get a ring in my, my ears. Just thought I'd let you know. Uh, see, we're still working on stuff. <laughs> um, what was I talking about? It seemed exciting. I was about to make an earth-shattering. Oh, the Holy Spirit fell on him. Peter hasn't even opened the Bible. He hasn't mentioned anything about Scripture and the Holy Spirit, as he was talking, the Holy Spirit fell on, upon all those who were listening to the message. And notice the next verse. All those Jewish believers that, who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out 
on the Gentiles too. While he's talking, without mentioning scripture, are you coming to talk to me? Oh, if you can hear the ring, you would actually have to be up here. Here, come up on the stage. And maybe I don't hear, maybe if I sit right here. Isn't our church strange? I often say, you right there? Huh? I don't hear it. You don't hear that right there? The ring? It's like an echo. Maybe it's old ears. Maybe it's me. Old ears? Is that what you say? Maybe it's because I'm old. No, it's just every now and then. It's not really bad now. Okay, that's fine. I often, I've said to people a lot of times, I don't know why anybody ever comes back to our church. I just don't know. Anyway, for they heard them speaking with tongues. So here's the thing. Peter used a different method. Now, I'm going to skip over a lot of things to, to show you one more example. The guy named Paul that I talked about earlier, the same exact thing. I'm going to show you a message that Paul preached that would get him kicked out of any denominational organization in the United States today. They would take away his credentials as a minister because of how he preached. There was, go home and read on your own, and I know most of you won't, but Acts chapter 13, toward the end, the Apostle Paul goes to this place called Antioch in Pisidia, and he's talking to Jewish people. He does this amazing discourse where he goes all through the Old Testament and he quotes scriptures and he's telling them the history of the Jewish people because he's talking to Jewish people. Scripture after scripture, he gives the whole, you know, Adam and Eve and Moses and everything, and he's talking about all that. And then he ends up with the same message. But Jesus came, he was killed, and he rose from the dead. And he is the true representation of who God is. That's basically his message. But he's talking to Jewish people, so he uses Jewish scriptures. But in Acts chapter 17, he comes to a place, Athens, Greece. And in Athens, there aren't any people that believe the Jewish scriptures. So he comes into town and says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the what? Idols. He saw everywhere in the city. And he also, so he goes in the city and everywhere he looks, he's deeply troubled because they have these images. They've made them out of stone or they've made them out of wood that represent the various gods that these people are worshiping. This is a pagan, heathen, uh, idolatrous culture that Paul is in. But his mission is the same. It doesn't matter. His mission is to make disciples of Jesus. His message is the same. Jesus, God has done something amazing. He sent Jesus to this earth to show us what he's like. He died for us, and he rose from the dead. That's his message. He also began, he has a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. They told him about Jesus and his resurrection. They said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? And so what they do is they take him to this place where they all gather together from day to day, and they have discussions on various philosophies and various things about life. It's called the Areopagus. I always have to think of Snuffleupagus every time I read that. But the place is called the Areopagus. And so here's how he begins to talk. Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as following. Follows. Men of Athens, not fellow Jews. Men of Athens. I notice that you are very religious in every way. You have all these idols. 
Now, I'm going to show you something that Paul did not do. The reason we do not do certain things is because Paul did not do. Because there's a scripture in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, the scripture says this. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. Brother, that's Bible right there. Paul doesn't mention it. Paul is very aware. He was trained in the best seminary of the day under a guy named Gamaliel. He is a Pharisee, the most religious of the religious. He knows this scripture. He lives this scripture. He's in a town filled with idols. Do you guys know what the, where the scripture's from? What is that? That's one of something. What? Somebody said it. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Dave Letterman's top ten. It's in the book of Exodus. This is God's top ten. The Ten Commandments. He didn't stand on the street corner with a big sign that says, Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make idols. Why? Because they don't care. It's ineffective. Is it true you shouldn't make idols? We just speak the truth here, brother. Well, you might just be dumb. It's stupid to explain something to people that don't accept what you're saying as authoritative. It's not a good method for your message to fulfill your mission. So Paul does this. He doesn't say that. He says this, talking about, he says, for I was walking along... I saw your many shrines, you bunch of heathen guys. No, he didn't say that. I saw your shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. These Athenians were so involved in making idols, and they wanted to make sure they didn't offend any of the gods. So just in case a god showed up someday that we didn't know about, they already had a shrine in place to an unknown god. We're sorry, Mr. God, sir, but we've been worshiping you the whole time. We just didn't know what your name was. So we have this unknown God right here. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Paul enters into their belief system, uses their idol, and says, today I'm going to preach to you about this idol right here. I'm telling you, he would have been kicked out of every denomination in the United States. He's telling them, I'm going to preach to you about this idol. This is the guy I'm talking to you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He's telling them the story of creation, but he's not referring to the scripture. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations through the whole earth. He's telling him the story of Adam and Eve without saying it's Adam and Eve. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall to determine their boundaries. His purpose was for the uh, nations to seek after God, perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Then he, here, his, here is his reference. He says, for in him we live and move and exist. Now, as I've, I've said this before, if you've been coming here long, I grew up in church where we sang a song like this. In him we live and move and have our being. Anybody? It's just me? You had that? That's the scripture. 
Except this isn't scripture. This is from a Greek philosopher, Epimenides. He's quoting a secular philosopher in order to share his message of Jesus. This ain't the Bible. In him we live, move, live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, I can't remember what this guy's name, he was from Crete, we are his offspring. It's from an ancient poem that a Greek poet wrote. It's not scripture. Paul is using something besides scripture to talk to people. He goes on. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen for gold or silver or stone. He called their, what their philosopher said truth. He's entering into what they believe and what they consider to be truth in order to shift their thinking over to what is his message is that really Jesus is the truth of who God is. And he said, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. The only thing, he goes on, for he, for he has set a day for judging the world. And by the way, the only sin that he mentioned to them, because they had all kinds of sins. When he says repent, the word repent means to change your mind. He's saying God is asking you to change your mind about all these gods you're serving to, to believe in the one true God who came and gave himself for you. He set a day for judging the world with justice. Now notice something here. By the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. His message is the same. But let me show you something here. He explained who Jesus was right there and didn't mention his name. He didn't say, and that's Jesus. He is, we are too quick he gives him space. Here, let me, let, me, let me read the rest of this and let me show you what I'm talking about. He doesn't even tell him who Jesus is. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection, some laughed with contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this. What's that next word? Everybody say later. Now, here's something about the way that we do things at Stonebrook. We want to create a place where you can come and you can doubt and you can ask questions. You can be a Christian and doubt and ask questions. You can be a non-Christian and doubt and ask questions. And you're not going to be pressured. Paul here gives them space. I'm not even going to tell you what his name is. This is what God has done. Some of them believed it right then. But some of them said, huh, I'll have to hear. Let me think about this a while. I'd like to hear some more about this later. We are missing so many people because every time they come to church, we're like, oh, there they are. What if you die tonight? What if you die in a car wreck? You have to make a decision right now. Raise up your hand. Come forward. We have to get you saved right now. You have to pray the sinner's prayer right now. What do I have to do to get you into a Toyota today? It feels that pressure of being at, at the new car place, and you're just wanting to kick the tires a little bit. I don't want to sign anything. If I come home with a new Toyota, my wife is going to leave me. So please leave me alone. I just want to sort of check this out. This is what Paul is doing, and this is what we want to do as a church, is to create a place, a safe place, to just pursue it, to ask questions, to hear it, to think it over, think it through. Does this make sense? To ask more questions. 
And we've seen it over and over, little by little by little by little. People, when we say when we, say we set up dates with God, that's, that's sort of our mission. We set up dates. We think church is just setting up a date with people. Well, you don't want to, when you're dates, you know, you go to the door. Guys, let me just give you a little dating advice. When your date comes to the door and you're about to pick her up, don't be on one knee with a ring. It's not a good first impression. It's a little too pushy. But that's the way churches are. You have to make a decision, and you have to change everything about your life, and you have to think like I do, live like I do, believe like I do right now. Easy, bud. Let's just go to Ruby Tuesday and see how this works out. It's the same thing with church. Now, okay, that's sermon such as it is done. And I want to, uh, I've got four minutes and 14 seconds to explain a couple of things. We mentioned right there that our mission is we set up dates with God. We create this place where we say we want to create opportunities where people could just fall in love with Jesus. We set up a date. But another thing not to do on a date, and ladies, maybe you can answer this question. Let's say that you're on a date. Somehow he got you into the car and you're headed to Ruby Tuesday for a night of dinner and a movie. You're driving along there. So glad you finally agreed you know, to go with me. You're really beautiful, nice shoes, whatever. But what if on the way he says, the thing is, you know, I'm a little short this week. Would you mind to pay? Is that sort of, is that something that attracts you to him more? Is that something that makes you want to be with him? No. But it's, and we started talking about this this week, and this is sort of just a practical thing that we're going to experiment with. We, uh, one of the things that happens at church is there's always this time during the service where we receive an offering. And so we begin to question, number one, well, how did Jesus do that? How did Paul do that? And we got to thinking, why is it that we're passing buckets? Is there somewhere in the Bible that says, thou shalt pass buckets at least one time during the service? It doesn't say it. He's getting... He's getting, you know, mom, mom, he's supposed to be done by now. Hurry it up a little. Liam, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm getting to the punchline right now, buddy. I'll be, I'm almost there. So what, what we do, and it's sort of, since we have this post-Christian culture, we have people that have been turned off and disillusioned with church. Even before we present the message, even before we begin to talk to them about Jesus, we say, we're going to pass buckets, and if you have some money, put it in the bucket. And it reminds them of when they used to sit in church and they hated it, you know, as a kid or whatever. And, oh, 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 bucket, thank you very much. And it's this whole, brings this whole thing back. And, oh, I thought this church was different. And it's just like everybody else, they're only after my money, which we're not after people's money. Yes, it takes money. So, so we have this tension that we live in because we want to make disciples because Jesus told us to make disciples and to teach everything that he said to do. And one of the biggest things Jesus talked about was money. But he didn't talk about it in a way where he was portraying that he was trying to get something from people. He was there to give something to them. In fact, Jesus preached one time, and afterward, he served a meal to 5,000 people. It was an amazing thing. That's why we have donuts. None of us can multiply bread, so we have to buy donuts. If one of you guys back there in the booth could work on that, it would save us a lot of money, actually, just multiply. Bring, bring in five loaves and two fishes every Sunday. Multiply it. We don't need donuts anymore. 
Maybe just multiply the donuts. Try that. Anyway, so what we're going to try to do, because we want people to know, and, and as you grow closer to Jesus, we want people to give because they want to give, because, because they see this mission as something that God wants to happen in this community, and if you want to get involved in it, great, and so many people have, and we're so grateful for it. But at the same time, we have so many people that come for the first time that uh, are either new to church or coming back to church for the first time in a long time, and we don't want to present an obstacle. So, two things. Those of you that um, uh, consider our mission important and consider Stonebrook your home and want to be involved in it, it would help us for us, because we're going to stop at least for a while, and we hope forever, passing, having this time where we pass buckets. We're, we're now going to receive the offering. People come forward and stand, and we have a prayer with the offering. Then we receive the offering. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is, first of all, if you have an offering on the way out, we'll eventually have some little box or something. Um, maybe like a little life-size picture of me. You put it in my mouth. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know. <laughs> These are just ideas we're kicking around. But no, there'll be like a box back there. Today, there's a bucket on the table. Like if you have a Connect card that you fill out, or if you have an offering you want to give, you can put it there. But this is 2016. Most people don't carry around a checkbook anyway. So we want to, we have always, we've done this for quite a while, and we're going to even try to make this more accessible. If those of you that would like to give, we're going to use the phrase automate the important. You guys have, you automate your electric bill, you automate your car payment. Go to stonebrook.tv where you can set up a recurring gift and, and do it online. And we also have kiosks that are back there in the back, where if you want to use a check card or whatever, just do that before service or during service or any time after service. And if you want to give a check, we'll have it accessible for then. But if those of you that consider this uh, sort of your home and this is uh, important to you, if you'll just do that, then we won't have to take a time during the service and have to, you know, now we're going to talk about money and it's sort of awkward for everybody. Everybody's aware that to get the mission out, it takes money. Great. Just do it. We'll just mention it lightly, maybe put it in the um, handout or something that there's a box there or whatever. But this is something we're going to experiment, and we just want you to know about it, that that is going to be sort of the modus operandi for a while. Okay? So, I am one minute and 34 seconds over, so I didn't do too awful bad. Um, take the invites, pass them out to someone this week, um, if you're checking out your kids, you're going to line up against this wall. We're trying to do a little better system and working on that. We'll probably be working on that for a while. But thank you so much for being here this week. And we will see you next week. Invite your friends. Have a great week and a great Sunday. It's over, Liam. It's over. Oh, you don't have to be sorry. Sorry.